that's one of the reasons why whenever I was a teacher, I hardly ever finished an examination course because I got sidetracked into all sorts of things. Uh, and even now, I meet a pupil, you know, they tell me about, you know, it was so easy to get me sidetracked into the mountains or into fishing or into something else. And uh, usually it was a mad scramble towards the end to try and get the course finished to get them through their exams. Uh, but I still meet some of the pupils and I still still have, have a good chat with them. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Dode Mode podcast. This is episode number 17 where I interview George Atchison who is a really cool guy. He was a former teacher and principal and on today's episode he's going to be sharing the simple joys of spending your time out among nature, walking, trekking, just enjoying the peace of being outside. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Let's get started off with uh, what what got you into kind of trekking or hiking or, or what would you call yourself even? I, um, I just like the outdoors and I like traveling in the outdoors. And I like walking in the outdoors and I like exploring. And I have always been like that. I can't remember a time whenever I didn't want to do that. And you remember back to what Inishmore was like. And when I went to the farm as a little boy, uh, I always went straight down the fields uh, to see what was there with a bow and arrow or sometimes a fishing rod or a gun. Um, Not that I ever shot too much. And I just liked exploring and looking for birds' nests. Barbara sent me something here. I don't know what it is. I, I can't do two things at once. Stop tapping. Stop, stop, stop tapping your foot. Anyway, I have um, been like this forever. And then in, when I was about oh, 12 or 13, I began to do it even more. And although I never did very well at school, uh, I did win a prize when I was about 14 year old and I chose a book called Teach Yourself Mountain Climbing and that was basically where I took it from there. So I had a choice whenever I was about that age, did I go into potholing? You know what potholing is? Going down caving. Oh, Oh, is that what they call it? Yes, uh, we call it potholing here. And uh, I did it for a bit. And then I thought, well, it's too hard to get to potholes uh, because they weren't beside where I live. And I thought, well, the mountains are closer. So I went into the mountains. And really, I don't think there's ever been a week when I haven't been visiting the mountains somewhere or other. So today I visited them again. And... Usually during the week, I'll be out and about the pair binoculars or whatever. But the tracks that you're talking about, I really only started those when I was about 38. Um, and I remember said to Barbara that when I get older, when I retire, I think I go on some big hikes. And Barbara said, go now when you have the energy to do it. And so the first trip I went to was the Alps where I did a route called the Tour of Mont Blanc, which was right round Mont Blanc. And then basically every year after that, 
I went somewhere else. I went back to the Alps a few times, different places. I went to the Pyrenees, which is the mountain range between France and Spain. I've been to Spain. Spain's a very lovely, wild place. I've been to Romania, which is very, very wild. I've been to Bulgaria, which from a wildlife point of view is superb. Uh, but most of these trips were about two weeks long. And you'd be walking every day from one place to another. I quite like that type of trekking where you go from one place and you sleep in a different place and then you move another day. And then for my 50th birthday treat, I went to Pakistan to K2 base camp. And that was probably the biggest trek, the wildest trek that I've done. And I spent about three, about three weeks on that. Um, I didn't get up to the top of K2. That's for really good mountaineers. But I went up to the base camp, which is just over 5,000 metres. And it's quite a trek. And you're walking quite some distance from here. And you're camping on ice. Uh, but you're well looked after. We had uh, not Sherpas, there were Hunzas. And they looked after us. Uh, they put our tents up for us. They cooked for us. So it was a, actually, it was quite, it was quite nice. Uh, and closer to home, I've done two fairly big walks. I've walked across England uh, called the Coast to Coast route. Did that, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so ago. And then when we had our 40th wedding anniversary, Barbara asked me what I would like to do. And of course, I said, I'd like to go on a big trek. That would be my prize. So I did. Uh, I thought of going and doing one called the uh, the Camino, which is a route you may have heard of. It's like a religious pilgrimage type walk in France and Spain. Uh, I'm not particularly religious, but you know I do like the pilgrimage effort or uh, aspect of it. Uh, but I thought I'm going to see too many people. And I really don't like to see too many people. I, I, I much prefer wilderness and animals and trees. So instead, I did what they call the Pennine Way in England, which goes right up the middle of England, up a mountain range called the Pennines. And uh, after about three weeks walking, arrived at the far end. I think that's about the longest trek I've done in terms of miles, which is 280 or something miles. But last week, I just heard they do a race every year called the Spine Race, which goes right up the same route that I walked, and I took three weeks at it. And some guy did it in 72 hours. 72 hours. Wow. Uh, he took little sleeps of about 15 minutes. He must have had a support team, but boy, he must have been fit to do that. And, of course, you're doing it at nighttime as well. And the weather conditions were not good. You know, it was snow and ice. It would have been fog and mist. And you have to be fairly good at navigating. And it's quite wild. You know, you're over boggy moorland, which probably was frozen in places, uh, through forests, over streams, up quite steep mountains. So I took three weeks. He took 72 hours. So I had his often. And he broke the record by 10 hours. 10 hours? Uh huh. <laughs> wow, that's quite a bit, eh? Yes, that is. Yeah, very, very good. So, 
that's most of my trekking. But I also, most of my walking is still done by myself or with maybe a friend or two. But I also belong to a group called the Moan Ramblers. The Moan Mountains are the mountains that I would walk most. And I'm the secretary of that club. But I would lead for them now and again. And, uh, and that would be usually once a week if, if, I can, if I can get down to it. But sometimes it just gets fed up driving. I do. I just, you know, I just get fed up in the morning and I have to drive. And uh, so I go somewhere local. Uh, but again, it's always up in the hills. And that's why I like geocaching, which Dan Atchison got into. Uh, whenever I started to lead my or mountain walks, I didn't want to get, well, I thought if I ever get lost, I need something which I can turn on and will give me my grid reference. So I got a GPS. And just about the same time, geocaching came from North America to Northern Ireland. And of course, uh, GPSs were used to find hidden geocaches. So my skill level went up quite a bit. So that's it. So lots of adventures along the way. That's incredible. That sort of yeah. Exactly. Sort of yeah. What What do you think is one of the more memorable or a couple of the more memorable hikes or treks that you've done? Mm. Uh, they're all nice in different ways. Uh, certainly the trip to K2 Base Camp was very, very dramatic. You know, you're walking up. Uh, well, first of all, you have to go like across a desert. Uh, and I thought I would have enjoyed that. We went across it in four by four vehicles. And it was great. Some very, very hurry driving. I would not want to have been driving. It was mainly Toyota pickup trucks that we were driving. And uh, going across that. And then up on the glacier. And I remember the day that we went to... Uh, up to K2 base camp. We met at a place called Concordia, which is very well known by mountaineers. It's where several glaciers meet and you're about 5,000 metres up. And then the next day, some of us went on up to some of the base camps. And I remember that morning getting up about three o'clock in the morning because uh, it was a long day ahead of us. And I remember the light. It was dark to start with, but then it got light. It was the loveliest pale blue light for about 15 minutes so we made our way across this the glaciers over crevasses and all of a sudden there was a big loud noise when a crevasse obviously had split or something or the glacier had moved it was like a shot going off and I remember everybody jumped and we looked around to see if it was still safe and it was so we did our trip and then during the day of course it gets quite warm up there even, even though it's a glacier it gets quite warm so the snow and the ice begin to melt. So when you come back, little streams of melting water that you could just have hopped across on your way up now become three metres wide. And I tell you, the water is cold. It's hard to imagine water so cold that it's not actually frozen. And getting across some of those streams on the way back was pretty cold and dicey. Uh, and the big mountains, like I... I've, I don't know, there's maybe six or seven mountains over 7,000-odd metres around you. So you're looking up into the sky at these big, 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 big peaks. Uh, some of the bridges we crossed over, uh, like suspension bridges, were definitely not particularly well made. You know, you'd, you'd wonder. And there's some places that if you had a fallen, you were done. 
you know, you were you were finished. So that was quite good. Uh, in Romania, Romania is the one that actually stays in my mind the most because we started off with nice weather and then the weather turned really bad, very, very wet. And we were camping, so it was pretty grim. And the rivers all swole up and we couldn't get the four-wheel drive in with food and things for us. So it just turned into a massive adventure. You never knew exactly what was going to happen. You were crossing streams, going over logs. You were climbing some quite big mountains. Uh, uh, there were some bears in the, the forest just to keep us uh, on our toes. Uh, and I made a friend. Uh, the, the trip had a leader, but uh, the maps in Romania were are not good. So they had like a mountain guide. And this mountain guide was called Alex. And he was a young doctor trying to make some money for himself. And Alex and I became friends. And uh, whenever I came back to Ireland, I would have sent them some books and wee bits of climbing equipment. And when he heard that I was going to K2 base camp, he said, would I do him a favor? And the favor was the previous year, one of his friends had gone to climb K2 and had never come back. Still up there, frozen, maybe in a glacier somewhere. And so this guy's girlfriend, who was in Romania, she thought it would be nice if I could bring something from Romania up to K2 base camp and leave it as a sort of wee token to him. So I said I would do that. So Alex sent me through the post a little bit of a, a tree branch and some pebbles from Romania. And I took those across and eventually those got up to a place called the Guilty Memorial, which is a memorial to all the various climbers who have died in K2 and quite a few died in K2. So there's a wee bit of Romania now up at, at K2. Uh, that was quite good. It's always a... Uh, Bulgaria was really good from a wildlife point of view. Uh, very, very good. Uh, the guy who led that uh, was not only a very good walker, he was probably the best field naturalist that I have ever met. He was good for flowers, for birds, for insects. Didn't know everything. He was good. He was, a, he was almost like a geographer and a geologist as well. He had a very, very wide range. Of, and he was good with the weather. So it suited me well. I've been on some good trips with my son, Graham. Uh, about hmm, 10 years ago, <clears throat> he was over at some university thing in Geneva, in Switzerland. And he said to me, <clears throat> would I like to come over and we could, after he has finished, and we could link up for a week and do a bit of walking. So I did that. And we went to a place called Zermatt, which is a lovely village, Swiss village, high up in the Alps, <clears throat> near a mountain called the Matterhorn. Have you heard of the Matterhorn? I remember you talking about it. Is that the one that you you said you believe to be the most uh, beautiful mountain in the world oh, or that's, something? That's the one. And whenever Graham and I went there, we just walked. You know, we walked. We took bicycles for a day. The bikes near killed me, to be quite honest. Uh, uh, but we did a lot of walking. But unknown to me, Graham must have been hatching a wee plan in his mind. And um, because about two years ago, Graham went back 
and he climbed the Matterhorn. So, and that's the picture that you saw at the farm. And then this year when he was going back again to do a bit of mountaineering in the Alps, and he had hired a guide, but he said he, he, the place that he had hired in Chamonix, which is the, the town where you're based in, there was some room left in the flat that he had hired. And that I wanted to come over and I could do my thing and he could do his thing. Well, he did his thing. He, he did about four or five really big routes up in the mountains. The weather was superb, so he was able to do a lot. <clears throat> but I stuck to lower ground, but I still did a fair amount of walking. So that's just the sort of thing. Spain was nice, very rocky. Uh, the Pyrenees, beautiful mountains, especially in May time when the, the spring flowers are out. Um, haven't done much walking. I haven't done any walking really in North America, which is a pity. But I've read about your Appalachian Trail. And I read a book there recently about some guy who's done all three of the big trails. There's the Appalachian Trail. There's one down the Rockies and there's one somewhere else which is parallel to the one in the Rockies. And he did them all in one year. Wow. Now, I tell you, that's, that's that guy. So a a 25-mile day for him was an easy day. Some days he, he was walking maybe 45 miles a day. And he's doing this with a rucksack on his back, with his tent and all that sort of stuff on it. That's so incredible. There's no way I can. I, I now go as lightweight as I possibly can. So that's about it. Uh, I, like, I like walking at night. Uh, I like the stars. And when I was talking to David Weston some time ago, he said that our granny... Mary Ann Atchison, she liked the stars. I, I didn't realize that, but apparently she, you know, she wasn't like an educated lady, but she just liked going out in the stars or at night time. And then she was quite good for that because there's very little light pollution there. And you can see the stars. And remember, Dad and I would have gone out at night. I was a much younger person and we would have walked at night. night. Dad didn't know much about the stars. I don't think he could have told you one star from another. But he just liked being out in that sort of environment. Um, I have pictures of all those trips. Uh, uh, and the more recent ones, I just I put it on Facebook. It's nice to be one today. I was standing at the car park waiting to go up into the mountains. And somebody had left their walking pose beside my car. <clears throat> and a little robin, little bird, just hopped on the hiking pose. So if you look at my Facebook, you'll see the TV Robin just, just sitting there. And he sat there long enough because I made a real mess of taking the picture. I don't know what I did with the phone. And uh, must have sat there for two or three minutes. Let me take a photograph of it. And then we went off up into the hills. Mm. That's that's so, lovely. What what uh, do you have any any hikes or or uh, routes that that you really want to do at some point in the future? I, yeah, but I'm not old and I'm getting older and, and I'm not joking. I, I have certainly slowed down, but I still have that adventurous streak in me. Uh, there is a route in Scotland up what they call the Great Glen. Now, about four years ago, uh, a relation on my mum's side, uh, I had met him in the Lake District, which is a place in England and I've done a fairly long hike there. Now the, this guy is called Jeff 
and he's a teacher, like myself, retired. Great, great walker. I've never seen a guy with more maps in his house than he had. I thought I had a lot of maps. This guy had 10 times more than I had. And at the end of my walk in the Lake District, we met Jeff and his wife, Rosalie, who's my cousin, in a pub. And just to finish off, have a meal and a beer. And while we were sitting there, I think Graham, my son, sent me a message to say that he had just finished a big canoe trip in Scotland along the Great Glen. And I immediately got back and said, do you think I could do that? And then and there I said to Jeff, Jeff, fancy a trip? And Jeff was up for it. So the next year, Jeff and I, we hired all the gear and we did our canoe trip. So I would like to go back and actually wild camp along that route. But whether or not I'll get the opportunity, okay, I'm not too sure. And I say, Graham and I have done other routes. We've done the the um, oh the West Highland Way in Scotland. We did that. Other uh, uh, other places probably like to go to somewhere in Africa. I've never gone to Africa. Uh, don't fancy climbing Kilimanjaro. I don't. You know, I, I don't. Uh, uh, I think they probably got it too fast. And unless you can acclimatize fairly well, you can end up being sick most of the way up. And I like to enjoy my, my climbing. Appreciate but there's some it. lovely guys, like the Atlas Mountains, which are in the north. There's still peaks up there at 13,000 feet. You know, they're, they're good. In fact, I have a, a person I know in the more Ramblers, and she's heading there in about a month's time. Uh, and then she's going up to Everest Base Camp later on this year. So like some of the friends I would go with are quite adventurous. And um, have you ever heard of Roots called Via Ferratas. No, Via I Ferratas. haven't. It's a term that the Italians used during the First World War in the Alps. Uh, it means the Iron Way. And these are really, really steep cliffs, you know, cliffs maybe 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 foot sheer. And to get the soldiers from one place to the next, they had these routes through the mountains. Really, really hurry routes. And uh, so these via paradas are still there. They're maintained. You should, you should Google it. Uh, I, I think you would really enjoy them. Uh, you can make it as dangerous as you want to. Uh, but you can clip onto ropes. And so if you slip, hopefully you wouldn't slip too far. Now, I have other friends. Again, they're women. Uh, women seem to be coming very, very adventurous. And the two girls that I, I call them girls, they're probably in their 40s. Uh, they're heading off to do a via, via Ferrata's uh, this coming summer in, in the Alps. So uh, going to the Alps and doing a Via Ferrata would be quite good. But I don't have the head for heights now that I used to have. Um, one trip I would really love to do, but I'll, I'll not be able to do it, is to go to Canada and get a float plane away up north and be dropped off with somebody who knows what they're doing, obviously and canoe down the rivers and lakes and fish for big trout. Fish and have campfires along the route and fish and wildlife and canoe and probably a little bit of walking. But I, I can't see me ever doing that. I think I've, I've left it too late. 
Well, if if you ever do make it over here, let me know and I'll accompany you because there's nothing, nothing quite like a real canoe trip out in the Canadian wilderness, you know? I, I'm hoping now Teddy, our grandson, if, if he was over here more, I would do more canoe trips with him on Locker. You know, this I have the canoe there. In fact, I have access to another canoe as well. And there's islands there. And there wouldn't be Canadian-type trip, but it still it would be a good trip. And last year, Teddy caught his first pike on Loch, Loch Barry, which is the lake that you went down to visit. And this year, for part of his Christmas present, I said I would hire a pike fishing guide who would take us to some really good places on Loch Erne and we'll go for some big pike. And uh, yeah, the guide is all hard. And when they're over at the beginning of April, Teddy and I will get away fishing for a day. And hopefully we'll, we'll have a good time. Other places we'd like to go to New Zealand would be lovely. Uh, they do some, some great. They don't call it walking there. They call it tramping. Uh, some of their tramps are pretty pretty hurry, you know, and you're really into quite wilderness areas. Have you seen the film Lord of the Rings? I have. The scenery is stunningly beautiful. That's it. Well, that's one of the reasons I would like to go. Uh, Graham has been to New Zealand because he, years ago, um, the girl that he was going out with then, uh, she was a medical student and she had to do what they called her elective at some place else in the world. Where'd they go to, Barbara? Jamaica, was it? Barbados. So she went to Barbados to do her elective, uh, which is probably a month or so. And then Graham, who was working with the university at that stage, um, doing various papers, he asked for permission to go with her. And he said he would send the stuff back. He would do his research as he went around the world. And he would send back information. That's what he did. So Rachel did her elective and then they traveled around the world. Uh, so they did a round the world trip. One of the one of the places they went to was New Zealand. And they did some, I don't know, adventurous things there. And they went to South Africa or somewhere in Africa, because I know they went on a safari. They hired somebody out and uh, they did that. So New Zealand would be on my list. I'd like to go to Antarctica, you know, to see before it all melts. And that's another thing I'm quite concerned about. I just look at the state of the world and what we're doing to our environment. And I really wouldn't, I don't know, three generations from now, I just don't know what we'll be left with. Because already many of the glaciers have almost disappeared. Uh, I think in the Pyrenees mountains, and they're up to about 13,000 feet. I think they reckon in maybe 10 years' time, there will be no glaciers left. And if you go to the Lake of the Alps, you can see where the glaciers were in Victorian times, 100 years ago. And you can just see it's just all rubble now. And the ice has retreated quite high up. And the same in the Himalayas. And, but global warming and a few other things were, I think, just we've made a real mess of things. So get out there, enjoy it while you can. Absolutely. And that's one of the beauties of um, outdoor sports, such as canoeing and walking, is that there's no there's no noise. You don't need an engine. You're you're just enjoying enjoying the world kind of in the most 
basic way. I find that mm -hmm. kind of beautiful, you know? Well, that's why uh, any s'more at the farm is quite nice because you're well off the road. Yes, you can hear cars sometimes in the distance, but you can almost imagine that you're away from things. And you could if you wanted to. You could chickens, you could have pigs, you could grow your own potatoes. Um, there's a guy that I have met up at in at County Fermanagh near the farm, a guy called Stephen. And Stephen's a bright guy, a bit like yourself, uh, but he's quite laid back, a bit like you probably as well. And he has no university type, you know, qualifications, nor is he interested in anything like that there. But he's a clever guy and he does a lot of nature surveys and uh, soil surveys, bird surveys. He does them, the bird ones around the farm. And I know Stephen would just love to have the farm because he, he grows a lot of his own food. And earlier on, well, later on last year, I think it was October, he and his partner, uh, they had a eight-year-old October. So they only ate what they could grow or forage, or fish, whatever fish he catches, he eats. And he treated me to a meal one night, and he cooked some pike for me, and I thought, mm, don't know about this, because I had pike before, and I didn't really like it. It was really good, but he gave me, he's a great man for vegetables, so he gave me a lot of stuff called kale, and a wee bit of kale does me, and I'm afraid I had to hand some of his kale back to him. But, uh, no, he, he's interested in all and he would just love to live in a place like Ellismore and just live in, in a subsistence way. Now, he'll never, he'll never ever be wealthy, but to me, he has a contentment there that many other people don't have. So, That's so, wonderful. When out, no, when I'm out walking, I, I just lose myself. And I know Barbara said to me a few times, especially when I was a principal and I'd come back here um, it has been buzzing with all sorts of things going through my mind. Money things, discipline things, teacher things, parent things. Uh, and Barbara said to me, why go out for a walk? <laughs> so, because when you go out for a walk, a lot of those things, they're still there when you come back, but somehow they don't really matter so much. So you, you see them in perspective. So it keeps, it keeps your sanity. For sure. Actually, as a kid growing up, uh, my mom did the same thing to me when I would have a be having a rough day or, you know, I was I had a bit of an attitude or something. My mom would say, go outside, go for a walk, you know, and go things... outside, chop some fruit. Uh, I you know what I used to find really good. Clay pigeons, you know, because I could imagine my problems were the clay pigeons and I could just blow them to smithereens. And sometimes if you didn't like somebody, you could imagine somebody was that clay pigeon. And you would say, pull on the trap and just put the shotgun up to your shoulder and see the clay pigeon disintegrate into a thousand pieces. That was very therapeutic. I thought Bar Barbara's laughing at me here now. But yeah, and uh, Teddy is not quite old enough yet for the shotgun, but he soon will be. Actually, Teddy is now bigger than me. Teddy is bigger than me. Uh, a year ago, they were over here and he wore my climbing boots when we were up in the mountains. I reckon this year he wouldn't get into them. He's, and height-wise, uh, I think I've got a bit smaller. Actually, I know I've got a bit smaller. 
and he's he's maybe now two inches bigger than me. And I would say by the look of him, he's going to end up about six foot four. He's going to be a big guy. And uh, so hopefully get Teddy out with the shotgun and let him have a safe. But I have an interesting story about that. Jane, my sister, uh, she had her 70th birthday uh, two, two years ago. And her children, she has three. The two girls both lived over in England or Wales. But her son is into like oceanic conservation work with whales and sharks. Guy called Luke lives, I think he lives around Philadelphia somewhere. Anyway, Jean had this bright idea that for her birthday, she'd bring them back all to Ireland and they would hire a place near Inishmore. At least the place that we went to. Remember, we went to a big old place where there was a courtyard and we walked around. It was, it was near the grave. And uh, so Jean had uh, her children there and then there was grandchildren there as well. And Luke's, her boy, his, what do you call Luke's wife? Well, Emily. Emily. Emily is a, from the States somewhere. And I said to him, well, we met them one day and they were going to come over to the farm the next day. And I said, that's great. I said, I get the guns out and we will go shooting at targets. And Emily really had a fit. You know, you could see that she was really, really worried about her son actually using guns. Now, whether that's something to do with her coming from the States and she didn't want her son to have anything to do with guns. Uh, in the end, I just didn't take the guns out. You know, we, we went fishing and we went all our things, but we didn't do any shooting. But to me, shooting runs in the Atchison family. The Atchison's always seem to like guns and shooting. Hopefully not shooting people, but, but just simply out over the fields with a gun. Yeah, many, many happy memories like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think I, I share that um, that love of it's it's one of those things you do outdoors and I don't like killing things but I enjoy shooting things so there's a, a difference there you know yeah what I do at the farm is when I'm cooking or drinking say a can of beer or a can of coke I keep the cans and then if Teddy and Orla Teddy's sister come over we take out the rifle and we shoot our armies you know um, and they always love shooting my army first you know so and they're quite good. Teddy's quite a good shot. Teddy's a Teddy's a good shot with, with a rifle. Uh, not too sure what he'd be like with a shotgun. And Orlis, she's still quite small, but she's quite good as well. She's she's, she's actually quite plucky. Um, I've uh, years ago there was a family uh, of all boys. Uh, was with a lady that I would have taught with at school, and these were very adventurous boys and highly competitive. And they came and stayed at the farm. Uh, Graham was there as well, I think. Uh, but they came to stay at the farm for about three or four days. And we had a competition that I organised. And it was called uh, Pagarubo. PA from paddle. GU for gun. RO for rod. And BO for bow. So we had a crossbow. We had rifles with fishing tackle. And at the beginning of the time there, we said, right, we'll have a competition. And there was a wee trophy. You know what we boys you like for, for trophies? And we had a point system. For every fish that you caught, for every inch, it was worth a point. 
uh, if you shot a clay pigeon that was maybe worth five points with the rifle and we had a crossbow the crossbow was probably the best one of the lot but maybe the most dangerous uh, anyway the whole thing came down I think with three of the boys there and uh, and yes the last day the scoring was very very even and I think David had something like say 34 points and Jordan had about 33 points and it all came down to who could catch the biggest pike in Loch Barry so I had borrowed some canoes so Jordan went out with his father in one of the Canadian canoes and fished away. And I went out with David in a canoe and David fished away. And David got this really big pipe, really good pipe. And of course, once Jordan saw this, he realised he wasn't going to win this trophy. <laughs> and I can nearly see him jumping for, with madness in his canoe. But in the end, David, who is now our physio, by the way, if we have any back problems or whatever, uh, both of us would go and see David. He, he lives fairly close to us. And David would give us physio. So he has grown up into quite a respectful. And actually, they're all decent fellas. They're teachers and chemists and things like that. They're all, you know, they live very well for themselves. So, yeah. Mm. No doubt there's a whole lot of other things, but that's, that's, what, some of that's wonderful. Awesome. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing, George. It's been great chatting yeah. with you. Oh, it's been good. Barbers get fed up with all these things. And uh, today, whenever I come back from the mountains, uh, actually, I took a fall last week. Uh, no, it's not nearly two weeks ago. We had snow here. And I was walking up above where we live here in Doak. And the roads were snowy and icy. And as usual, I just way off, put on my climb boots, and away off I went. And I was coming down a road. And I could see the snow was compacted with vehicles. It was hard and shiny. I'm sure you've seen plenty of that sort of snow. And I decided to walk down the edge of the road where there was a wee bit of roughness. And you know something? Before I knew, I was on my back. I, I cannot remember slipping. All I remember was I hit the ground on the flat of my back with a real thud, a real thud. Didn't even have time to save myself. And I lay there for a few seconds thinking, well, have I broken? Because I knew rightly I'd, you know, I hadn't done myself any good. But everything uh, was okay, in a sense. So I walked home, which is another three and a half, four miles. Um, but I knew as I was walking home, I was getting stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. And I arrived back here and said to Barbara, I'd taken a bit of a fall. So the next day I rang the doctor. Uh, who I know fairly well because I'm usually getting scraped with barbed wire and get insect spikes or he knows what I'm like and he listened and he said really what I had was like a form of whiplash where basically my body had come down very fast hit the ground stopped all of a sudden but my insides they tried to keep on going so they were a bit sort of smashed about a bit so as I talk to you now I'm still sore but the day after I came back from the mountains, I said to Barbara about contentment. We're talking about various things. Because uh, we don't have big fancy cars or anything like that here. But basically, I quite like the lifestyle that we live and what I do. And Barbara said to me, the reason that you're content is you can do whatever you want. You just do whatever you want. And that's basically it. You know, And I, I, I just hope for both of us, you know, our health keeps good. 
and our fitness keeps good and we can get away for meals together and like Barbara doesn't go up the mountains but we can still do things uh, nice trip to a fancy hotel that sort of thing get a nice big breakfast in the in the morning uh, yeah she's sitting beside me here knitting away I wonder what I'm talking about yeah do you know that Barbara whenever we met climbed mountains did really? rock climbing did upsailing and once we married not once has she been in the mountains doing proper hill walking not once now, I think I've I think I've been done little so she pretended to like mountains and when she got me where she wanted me that was it she does her own thing She's a like smart, her. smart woman, yeah. eh? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want. I'm the one with sense. Uh, Barbara's the one with sense. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, I think Barbara's far too partisan. By that I mean, she makes her mind up far too quickly about people. And if she likes you, she likes you. You're all right. She, she likes you, Dorian. So you, you're okay. But to see if she doesn't like you, then life would be a real misery. A real misery. And I say to her sometimes. I said, don't make decisions about people the way you do. Think about them. Uh, but I would have to say nearly any decision she's ever made about a person, she's very good about summing people up. Really? You know, and and like, I, I remember one time we were out, I was doing a job as a bailiff and I went to see this farmer about pollution. And he was clearly polluting. But And I pointed out he was breaking the law and what I was going to do if he didn't you know, stop the pollution. And afterwards, Barbara said to me, because she could overhear, because uh, was, she was in the car waiting, and she said to me, and how did you think that went? And I said, I think that went really well. She says, well, I'm not so sure. And here, a couple of days later, I went into the head office, and all I heard was, George, there's been a complaint about you, and it was this <laughs> farmer, who, who obviously wasn't too pleased uh, with how forceful I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there it is. So that's lovely. Awesome. That's, that's so, is that the sort of thing you want? Oh, that's that's perfect. That's exactly what mm -hmm. I was looking for. I love hearing all those stories and stuff. It's it's awesome. That's one of the reasons why, whenever I was a teacher, I hardly ever finished an examination course because I got sidetracked into all sorts of things. Uh and even now, I meet a pupil, you know, they tell me about, you know, it was so easy to get me sidetracked into the mountains or into fishing or into something else. And uh, usually it was a mad scramble towards the end to try and get the course finished to get them through their exams. Uh, but I still meet some of the pupils and I still still have, have a good chat with them. I bet. That's, that's wonderful. And I'm teaching tomorrow. Tomorrow I meet, go to a local primary school and I do some literacy work with them. Oh, beautiful story! Oh yeah, yeah, all all boys, boys, yeah. boys who are not in education. You know, they're just we guys who give their teachers a lot of trouble. Yeah. So they send some of them to me, and uh, and I have a yarn with them, and we do things with them, and we we grow potatoes, and we we do other things, and I annoy them, and uh, we have a great time. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. To me, you're mm -hmm. uh, you're not much more than a boy yourself which i love about you and I, I think that that would make you relatable to a lot of students but also my education career 
That's not been straightforward. The guy failed exams left, right and centre and had to repeat and had my mother in tears because I was so bad. Wow. Uh, I had no interest in school. Not a bit. All my interests were outside. So I spent the time looking out through the school classroom window at the trees and the, the clouds. And, and it was only whenever I had to repeat a year when I was about 14. And I felt so embarrassed because all my friends had gone on and I had to go back. And to, to really punish me, to put me in a class with Barbara in it. That's right. So I paid for it for the rest of my life. Uh, uh, but no, that was the start. I, I just said, right, this is it. Uh, you know, I don't like school, but I'm, I'm going to have to educate myself. And I just turned the thing around within about a year. I just turned the thing right around. And people who I thought, you know, were far brighter and cleverer than me. I began to pass them in tests. And then I just kept going and going and going and going. And I ended up as a headmaster. I'm sure my mum was absolutely surprised whenever I ended up being a headmaster. Yeah. So, so that's why I can understand why we guys don't want to work in class or are not interested or whose attention span lasts about 30 seconds. Uh, because I was one of those wee boys. And even now, Barbara would say, my attention span. And I don't, she says, you, you never listen. Uh-huh. That's just probably right most of the time. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love that. It's called, called survival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sitting here. Well, here, I wish you well. And, awesome. Uh, and keep in touch. And maybe sometime you come back to Northern Ireland and, uh, you know, you'll visit us at the farm again. I would love to. That was one of my, uh, during my whole time in Ireland, that was probably my my favorite time was spending that, those overnights with you there it was it was such a highlight for me um so i do plan to come do plan to come back and maybe i'll bring a couple siblings next time or something well you never know we always put you out in the in the hair shed and you can, <laughs> you can sleep out there <laughs> but i need to go down this i need to go down this week and check it we had a big storm through about a week or so ago i just need to go down and check that everything is all right but uh, I can't do heavy work because, as I say, I'm still sore around here. And, you know, when you do a chainsaw, you have to pull the, the cord you know, to get it going. I'm not too sure that I could pull the cord strongly. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I don't want to damage myself anymore. I, I want to get better first before I do anything else. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry about that fall, but, yeah, make sure you recover, I guess. Nope. Eh? Well, you know, so that's the only time I have. Actually, last year I fell. And both times it was out just out the road here, and there was snow. And last year I was putting on things on my boots called yak tracks. Don't know, a bit like crampons. Yeah. And I was I was putting on, and I put my foot up on a a wooden ranch rail, and it slipped off the ranch rail, and my whole body went forward, and I smacked my nose off another ranch rail. So I had a big big mark right across there. That took about two weeks to go. And so that was one fall. And then the other one was about a week or so ago. And they're both within about a mile or so of our house here. Wow. So it wasn't up in the mouth. It's just just local areas. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow. So. Awesome. Thank you so much, George. It was great chatting with you. Uh, good. Good chatting with you. And uh, uh, maybe we'll have another chat sometime. Absolutely. I would love that. Okay. All the best for now. Likewise, have a great night. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dode Mode podcast. I had a great conversation with George and Barbara. And actually, for a little bit of backstory, when I was living in Ireland, I went to visit the family farm. I'm actually related to George and Barbara. And so it was very cool for me to see uh, the old homestead of part of my family. George is an awesome guy. He has a lot of similar interests and passions to myself, uh, being a fellow outdoorsman. And yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Thanks again to Duke for making the music, my, my brother Duke. And I will catch you guys on the next episode. Until then, peace and love. Bye.